Welcome to the Church of Babies Radio Show. It's Friday night. We're all still alive. 17 p.m. Central. Ever had any hootin' nukes or uh, no more calamities? Not yet, anyway. Well, uh, we got Jay back with us tonight. He's back after kidney stone vacation. Well, more than that, yeah. That verticulitis and kidney stone and been to the hospital four different times and stayed for four days. Yay! Was not a vacation of any sort. (laughs) Definitely not. And uh, we got Jeffrey Shanks here with us tonight. Weird weird archaeology from Atlantis to ancient aliens. The return. How's it going? Good to have you here. Oh, man, it's great to be back on. It's been a while. Pre-COVID, I think, since I've been on the show. It's great to be back. And uh, listening to, uh, oh, man, hold on a second. I was supposed to play these little things, and I forgot. Hold on, let me find them. Where are they? Hold on a second. Okay, hold on. I got to play a couple little things real quick. I'm supposed to do it before the show, but I forgot. We're going to do it just real fast, and then we'll be right there. It's like a minute or something. You are listening to UPRN, United Public Radio Network, coming to you live on 105.3 right up to 107.7 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans. UPRNTalkRadio.com Looking for stories that are fresh and new? Dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, cyberpunk, alternate history, and more. They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology. From 24 award-winning authors and illustrators, plus art and writing tips, and bonus stories. L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future. Buy your copy at galaxypress.com, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Alrighty. I just supposed to, I was supposed to start doing that recently, and it slipped my brain. Everything's slipping my brain lately. I've had some things lately. I've been uh, watching that Secret of Skinwalker Ranch show a lot, and uh, and then for some reason we had a uh, an oven door blow up, which could have been natural. I don't know, but it's like a nice frigid air just happened. It was really strange. Did you say but oven really, door? Yeah, like a glass oven door on a fancy Frigidaire uh, oven, like the front of it, it just blew up. Why do you look like you're freezing? Are you still like a <laughs> knee? Like you just got dematerialized in Star Trek right, or something. There you go. Because you're freezing on my end. So I don't know. But, uh, so what, the, the glass exploded or the whole door came the door, <clears throat> The door exploded. That's weird. And it's really strong. Like, I don't... Oh. Nobody knows how it happened. I mean, I've wondered if a dog tried to jump up and look on the stove, but even where it would have jumped would have been that, like, handle. So it would it would have been hard to... I don't know. It's just weird. But anyway, Michelle Disrocher says she removed two shadow beings from my house today and tweaked it. And uh, that's what's interesting. Uh, Will Murray, who uh, Jeffrey knows... Uh, yep. He does a lot of clearing stuff too, and he has a connection to Secret of a uh, Skinwalker Ranch, and we got him scheduled coming up in the the fall, so that's going to be a really good one. And it's you know, I believe people can do that. Sometimes it's a lot to comprehend for me, but I've noticed 
changes when she does it. And he, this dude worked the government, did it yep. for them. And we have a whole history of, and books about people doing it for the government remote viewing. I mean, it's basically someone sitting in a room and psychically seeing faraway places. I get kind of likened to uh, uh, someone solving a murder for the police psychically, stuff like that. You know, I believe there's something to it. Sometimes it's a lot for the brain to handle, but I've seen enough weird stuff. I don't rule anything out. There are I know, several uh, I feel, I well feel documented tweaked. cases of psychic solving crimes. It's, I, I believe yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, remote viewing, like you said, the government did it for many years, you know. Um, you know, they, uh, and yeah, I, believe I think Will, they're still doing it. <laughs> but, yeah, they may be, right? Uh, and I believe Will, you know, was trained by one of the original guys, um, you know, that was uh, was on Project Stargate, you know, the famous government program. So like Ingo uh, Swan or something like that. Ingo Swan was in that, involved in that. I think John Alexander, who you were mentioning earlier, you know, Skinwalker yeah. Ranch was, was part of that back in the day. Um, you know, uh, Hal Putoff, whose name comes up quite a bit with, you know, Bigelow and, and some of those folks that he's involved, you know, and you know, some of the, the new UAP stuff, you know, he goes back to that, that project back in the day as well. So, yeah, I, you know, I like to, you know, you know, I'm kind of skeptical, but I always like to keep an open mind because the, the universe is a weird place and we don't know, we really don't understand all of it. So, well, you know, uh, I mean, that's the main reason I'm here. If I didn't have right. weird stuff happen to me, I would not have thought about any of this stuff. My extent of knowledge of weird stuff, you know, like was E.T. at the drive-in and Star Wars and stuff like from TVs and movies when I was a kid. And then, you know, I had the, the cancer situation, testicular cancer, went through all that, lost one in the war, and then my dad died. I just think somehow all that, suffering open doors yeah and then i also read a lot of occult stuff and paranormal i think it seems like i can attract it to me like i can watch these paranormal shows like the secret skinwalker and it seems like it can open things and things will start happening and i've had that happen like i can like i attract it somehow like that i was just watching the the small town monsters a uh, Dogman triangle that's on tubi for free if anybody well, that's wants interesting. to check it out it was really good. Creepy. I don't yeah. know if I want to see one of those, but basically <laughs> there was all these people, eyewitness testimony, seeing freaking werewolves in Texas, and there's a triangle of huh. encounter points. And those creep me out. They seem like they'll just grab you and eat you. <laughs> you know, well, a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Listen, well, before the show, Jay and I were talking, for me, it was watching In Search Of as a kid in the late 70s, early 80s, man, with Leonard Nimoy. That, that warped my brain, you know, but I was in. I was in all the way. You know, UFOs, cryptozoology, paranormal, all of it. I've always been fascinated about it. You know, it, it's, it's always, great research. Yeah, they, they covered almost every you know, subject. Yeah. They hit them Alien all. abductions really. even. I'm sure they have them. I got that yeah. box set. Yeah, they, a lot of ancient astronaut stuff. We were talking about Von Daniken and Chariots of the Gods. It was very popular at that time. You know, that, you know, mm -hmm. for me, the ancient mysteries, too, always had a special fascination, right? And, you know, of course, mm. I ended up. You know, doing it for a living. I became a professional archaeologist, um, you know, but, uh, you know, to be fair, it was in the 90s when, you know, a lot of the stuff like with Graham Hancock was coming out and John Anthony West and Robert Schock with their ideas about the Sphinx being 10,000 years old and all that stuff was happening yeah. in the 90s. Right. And, you know, kind of a um, almost a snowball effect. I was getting into all this stuff. I finally decided, you know what? I'm going to go back to school and get a degree. I mean, when I found out you could just become an archaeologist, go to school and do that. And I did it, 
you know, today I'm, you know, kind of skeptical about a lot of that stuff. And we can talk about that, but you know, to be fair, I, you know, I owe my career, <laughs> you know, to, to the weird wacky stuff. Right. I, I, it was what inspired me to do it. Um, you know, That's awesome. and, uh, well, yeah. tell us some of the archeological things that you've gotten into. I mean, sure. Where, let me, was Indiana I, Jones of influence, <laughs> right? Well, you know, first, let me say, you know, I, I work, I do work for a federal agency. So I just want to, you know, start with a disclaimer, like anything I'm saying here, this is me as an individual and I don't represent my agency or my employer. Right. Um, you know, cause we're probably going to delve into some weird stuff. Right. Um, so disclaimer, no idea. Way. <laughs> <laughs> some idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, well, you mentioned Indiana Jones, right? So, um, you know, I just should have brought my head up. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there. The new indie movie is good. Don't believe the naysayers. It's good. Go see this while it's still in the theater. No spoilers. It. I know I'm going to like it, but no spoilers. I haven't seen it yeah, yet. Yeah, no spoilers. But I got listen, the hat and you got the bullets, but I don't have everything I love else. Mads Mikkelsen. I like Harrison Ford. Mads so. Mikkelsen is great. Okay, I mean, it's, it's absolutely good, entertaining film. If nothing else, it's a great palate cleanser after Crystal Skull, if nothing else. You know, it's a great way to end, to end the series. You know, there you go. Nice. <laughs> That's part of my name. This is an actual uh, uh, Shiva Lingam stone from India, but it's not, a, you know, like oh, that's cool. the Shocker stone nice. with fictional stuff, but it has the yes. three lines on it. <laughs> nice. Very cool. I try yeah, to look at so, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, but I don't trust them all the time. And lately I see a trend where like things yeah. that are actually decent. It's a propaganda like, sheet. My friend Mike like Hacker here. said the Flash movie was really good. He enjoyed it. I yeah. haven't seen it yet, but that's by the guy that did it and Mama. That's a good director, right. so I want to see it. But even, yeah. even though the actor creeps me out, they grooms kids or whatever. Yeah. That's true. That's creepy. Trying to right. choke a lady to death. It's there hard are to watch people. a movie when you have those parallels. But it's tough. I want to see it, but I've noticed yeah. a trend. They, these I'll be right back. I'm going to grab paid, something. A lot of these critics have probably paid off for something too. <laughs> I think a lot of it with with indie was also political. Um, they kind of got review bombed by folks that, um, felt like they were, you know, the, it, because it had, you know, the strong female lead. I think there was a, like people were saying, Oh, the, the, the female character is going to female lead is going to take the place of Indy and all of that. And so I think, so crazy. I think some of it was a kind of a reaction to that. And that is, that, that isn't the case. I'll all. murder you for you this. Yeah. Gonna kill you. Right. So it got review bombed <laughs> over something that does, that's not even real. Right. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So it kind of it was kind of the John Carter effect. Right. I don't know if you remember you know, the John Carter movie yeah, where yeah, yeah. it's not a bad it's movie, a good but, movie, you know, but the the narrative before it even came out was, oh, this is going to be a flop. And so it became self-fulfilling. And I think that's kind of what happened with Indiana Jones, unfortunately. It's a shame. It's uh, like is it cancel culture pretty much. I mean. I understand some of that stuff, but sometimes it seems a little too much. Like it can go overboard. I think this one was definitely unfair, um, you know, and, and it's a shame. So people should go see it, especially if you're a fan of the of the original movies. It's a, it's a nice way to end the you know classic franchise. Hey man, did you know where are there any drive-ins where you're at? There's one in Alabama right across the line that's not. You know, I just I just heard that. Oh wait, maybe it was watching that Joe Lansdale episode where. Yeah. Was that where it was? You guys were talking about the drive-in. Up, up yeah, there yeah. There, there. It's awesome. I don't know if there's any more. There might be, but it was an experience. I love. You know, it. I'm kind of surprised back. more of them didn't pop up during COVID. You know, yeah. you would have thought that would have been, you know, you know kind of a thing. Walmart to do. or something. They didn't do it in a Walmart around here. Like had <laughs> drive-ins at Walmart. I heard something like that. 
I, I would like to go back there. It was kind of a very nice, I don't know the name of it right now, but it's like right across the Alabama line. Uh, but really nice. Somewhere or? Yeah, yeah, a little past that. For about 30 minutes from Graceville where I'm at. Right. But really well taken care of, but kind of far out in the woods to where you're like, this will make a good horror movie situation where like That's House of a Thousand Corpses comes yeah. to get you at the drive-in. Right. But uh, other than that, good food too. Onion rings, hamburgers. Nice. I want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, what are some of the archaeological things that you you've gotten into? Well, God, all right. Well, God, I've been in, been an archaeologist for almost twenty five years now. Um, cool. You know, so yeah, it's it's been a some while. Of the tops, I, some of the tops. Uh, one of the, one of the coolest projects I ever did. I worked in Ukraine uh, back in I think it was, was two thousand four. I guess it was, um, which is kind of interesting now with the war going on over there, that's given me kind of a really interesting perspective. So I lived over there for a while in the early 2000s when it was, you know, within a decade of the collapse of the Soviet Union and, and all of that. And, um, you know, you know, country sort of just recovering from that. And that was, a, that was an interesting experience where we were excavating um, uh, Scythian uh, tomb mounds uh, out on the steps in Ukraine. That was a pretty incredible experience. And there were, you know, um, warrior burials that we found and, you know, a number of things. And it was, it's an incredible experience, you know, just living out on the steps in a village with, uh, you know, we had you know, some of the, the guys that were the local just diggers that were working with us and they were ex Soviet military. And so we would just hang out and my God, we drank so much. I, I drank so much vodka, you know, we're living in this little village. You go in the little store in the village, there's just nothing there but vodka, cigarettes, and, you know, maybe cheese, right? Yeah, <laughs> leave my pants if you're lucky. <laughs> right? You know? Um, and so, yeah, we, we just drank all the time. It was shots. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, you're out there on the steps. It's, it's kind of cool because the, uh, the Scythians are related to the historical Sumerians, right? And, you know, Jeffrey knows I'm a big Conan the Barbarian guy, right? I do a lot of, you know, pop culture stuff on conan and robert e howard and you know i work with the, the current rights owners and stuff so it was kind of cool i like to tell people we were doing you know sumerian archaeology out there uh, for a while so that was that was kind of fun but uh yeah crazy stories you know especially you know some of the old guys who were ex-soviet military guys are telling you know telling stories about being stationed in you know east berlin back during the cold war and Sneaking across the wall to hear Zeppelin play in West Berlin and then sneaking back, stuff like that, you know. Um, that was a pretty cool experience. I think. That was one of my favorites. How long were you there? Oh, I was there for a summer, so uh, probably three, four months, something like that, you know. <clears throat> Worked in Italy for a few years. Did on you Roman see Italy. a lot of Nazis? Or is that just <laughs> No Nazis, but... What about space arcs? That's what I hear, too, is... That from those exo, it's like this exo politics <laughs> right wing weirdness that Putin's after space arcs buried in Ukraine. <laughs> whatever the, the hell a space arc is. The I'm closest not sure. we did find some Nazi stuff, actually, which is kind oh. of funny, right? Bomb the whole place, right? drop a nuke on it. We did well because, and it's kind of weird, right? We're out there, we're out there on the steps, right? So it's just miles of wheat field as far as you can see. But every now and then there'll be these mounds, right? And there are these old burial mounds. Um, for Scythians, who were like the kind of step barbarians, horse barbarians, you know, you know, of ancient times, and because they're the only high ground for miles and miles during World War II, everyone, you know, basically what they were trying to do was capture these ancient burial mounds, and once they would capture them, they'd turn them into machine gun nests and put guns on them and anti-aircraft guns and stuff, 
And so we're digging these things and all of a sudden we're finding like an exploded ordinance and, and stuff, you know, and it was, it was actually a little sketchy, you know, right. Um, you know, so that yeah, was interesting. But Did you uh, ever see Sisu, that movie? No, no. You know what I'm talking about? No, what's that? It's, remember this, S-I-S-U, or write okay. it down when you can. Or remember, S-I, I'll see you a trailer at some point. Yeah. It's a movie by the guy that did an old, like, I think they're Finland or Swedish or something, but he did a movie called Rare Exports. It's like a weird Santa Claus horror movie. Right. But he, it's a new movie that just came out, and it was at theaters and stuff. And it's about this dude during World War II, I guess. And he's just killing the crap out of Nazis. It's the most <laughs> awesome thing since, like, good to bad and the ugly. It right? was just crazy. Like, it, it's just nonstop insane. But it's called huh. SISU. It's I'll pretty check it out. A lot of people talked about it. Like, it got really good reviews. So. Yeah, I'll check it out. But uh, Yeah, yeah a, lot of, a lot of the work I do today, though, I do a lot of work in the southeast United States. Um, a lot of it in Florida. So, the, well, I don't have a whole lot of Nazis. I do get tons of snakes. What's <laughs> going on in Florida? What are you finding down here? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, some of the work. Um, oh, you see me? Did you lose me? Yeah, well, something went out, but we can still see you. A little, okay. color, little color weird change and some uh, freezing, yeah. but you seem okay. Oh, weird. Okay. Um, so a lot of the work that I do, I, you know, I, I do work for a federal agency and, um, but we work, the work I do is helping out other agencies. Um, and I've been working in, um, a national forest on a site. Um, this is a, it's a pretty, um, this absolutely fascinating site. Um, it was a British fort in Spanish Florida during the war of 1812. And it was a, um, it's in the Apalachicola National Forest. Jeff, you know where that is, not too far from where you're at on the Apalachicola River. And, you know, there, there was a, um, uh, the British came and set up a fort during the war, right? The British were fighting the United States, War of 1812, right? Battle of New Orleans, right? The Johnny Horton song, all that. And when they were here, they, the British put out a proclamation that uh, anyone who could escape from enslavement and came and joined the British, uh, would get British citizenship and they would be emancipated and they could fight against the Americans. And so tons of people, you know, escaped from, you know, slavery in Georgia and Carolinas and came into Florida and joined the British and became trained as British colonial Marines. Um, and it was all, all took place at this site, this fort on the Apalachicola river. And so we've been doing a lot of the work there, uh, mostly ground penetrating radar. We're not doing any excavations there. It's a very sensitive site. Um, but, uh, you know, trying to recover that story. And, um, when the British left, they left it in the hands of some of the folks that stayed behind. And so you had one of the largest free African-American communities in North America, uh, at the time here, not just free, but free with a British built fort with cannons, guns, supplies, and it was a destination for people to escape to. Um, and you know, it lasted for about a year and a half or so until Andrew Jackson and the Americans, you know, Andrew Jackson ordered an invasion, another illegal invasion of Florida and attacked the fort. Um, and they had a battle and ended up um, a heated cannonball hit the powder magazine and the fort blew up and it killed almost everyone. Uh, so it's also kind of a tragic story as well. And, uh, but a lot of the survivors went on to become um, what it became known as the Black Seminoles. They joined with the, the indigenous populations in Florida and continued to fight for freedom for decades after that. 
Um, and it's an incredible story that almost no one knows about. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do is recover that story and, and tell it. You know? So you're digging there a lot? Like we're not digging. Of- we're not digging. Um, most digging with radar. We're using ground penetrating radar right now. Um, one of the reasons is because so many people died there. You know, it's a very Bodies. yeah, it's a very sensitive site, right? We don't want you know to, that Dozier School that's in Mariana. I do. I know it very well, uh, and I know I know the story there very well. There. I know, I know some of the there. folks that work there. <laughs> I drove through there. They're doing something new to it, and we got in. Me and Christina and drove around. It's creepy there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a weird story there. I, I yes, I know that very well. Um, You've been there, but, or you just know the story? Uh, I've been both. Both. I've been there, and I know some of the folks that work there. Are you doing um, archaeological stuff there? Are you doing archaeology stuff there? I wasn't. No, no, no. Um, I was retrieving uh, bodies with sonar. Some of my colleagues, um, <laughs> some of my colleagues, did do some of the work there. Yeah, that's some Stephen um, King shiznizzle right there going on. That's some dark Scary. stuff, right? Yeah. There's some dark stuff in Florida. People don't know, man. There's a you know. I got a weird story. An uncle of Christina, he passed. Yep. He worked at that place, yeah. Dozier. He was kind of a little creepy. I ain't going to say his name, but I hung out with him a lot. Like, he would drive by on his golf cart and tell me crazy stories from Vietnam and weird stuff, one of those situations. Right. But he claimed there was a UFO in Silver Lake, and that's in Mariana. And he was dead serious. <laughs> I was like, I tried to get it to raise out. Like, yo, I got man, a snorkel, man. Let's go look for it. What are we waiting for? He was serious, too. It's one of those situations you're like, okay, ready. I mean, you know, yeah, listen, you never know. Maybe they went down in it, you know, got water or passed my, through it. Um, my sister in the late 90s, she saw a classic black triangle um, just, you know, south of, uh, you know, down in Wakala County, you know, south going down towards, towards Apalachicola, you know. I mean, so we've got Eglin nearby. We've got Tyndall Air Force Base nearby. You know, there's there's some Florida's seen a lot of activity. There. there was that guy in the '80s. I forget his name, but he took all those wonderful Polaroids that people said, "Oh, they're fake, they're fake," but they're Polaroids. They're like they instantly it, it develops right there. So oh, it spits out are you talking about the Gulf Breeze stuff? Yeah. No, I forget his name, but yeah, Gulf Breeze is the place. So con- there's some controversy to some of that. Yeah, no, dude, yeah, I, yeah I, there I was. But they, um, Bruce McAbee looked at almost every one of his original photographs, and he's like, "There's no way this is fake." There's some that were, but some that probably may not have been. But there's would, a museum there. It's, yes. I don't know if it's still—is it closed or is that still open? No, it's probably I, still there. I, I grew up in Pensacola, so I was there when that when that Ooh. broke locally. Okay, and. Um, you know, it was, man, it was a huge deal. That was like 80, 88, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Mid, mid to late 80s, stuff, absolutely, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, they ended up finding the, the model in the guy's uh, attic after he moved out of his house, and that kind of killed it. But I'll tell you, people, I knew, like, friends, family, everybody would go out looking for UFOs over Pensacola Bay. I mean, it was a huge thing for years, and, yeah. uh you know, in the late eighties, going into the early nineties, you know, I mean, it, it was, it became a pastime for everybody and people saw weird stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. But again, you got Naval air station there, you got, you know, Hurlbut field, you've got all the military stuff going on there too, you know, so, you know, who knows, right. Um, you know, that, could have been it, a smorgasbord, uh, could have been <laughs> right? some facts, some real, some military, throw a drone in, throw some top secret in. 
Right? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're flying around in a UFO or a space machine, you're you're like what two seconds away from Cape Canaveral, so you can be hovering around you know Pensacola, and then when there's a launch, zip over two seconds, and you're watching something shoot off to the moon. You know. Well, and listen, we've got you know that whatever whatever technology is out there publicly now, the stuff that we have is twenty or thirty years ahead of it. Right? Oh, more than that. Yeah, more, they're more, more right. Yeah, hundred hundred and fifty right? years ahead. You they know, got stuff and, that's so good over there. Yeah, and and so we we don't know what's out there, and you know I, I gotta say you know some of the new, you know, you know I I've been following this stuff for many years, right, my whole life, you know the UFO thing, all these things, and um, yeah, boy, the Gulf Breeze thing really brought it home. That was in my backyard. Yeah, yeah but, I mean um, it really put UFOs on the map, really, for the eighties and nineties. It did, and and you know I I studied the history of the phenomenon going you know going back to the early early days. You know it, that's something that, you know I'm a historian, right? So. I studied the history of the paranormal too, right? And and uh, you know, and I got to say, some of the new stuff. You know, for a long time, I had gotten to the point where you know what, man, it probably really is just our stuff, because we do know that the military was out there using the UFO thing as cover intentionally, right? Oh, you guys know about Doty back in the eighties, right? And, and some of that yeah. stuff. So it becomes hard. Like, how do you know what's real? What's not? Are they so are just a psyop yeah. and they're using this stuff as cover for things? Right. Yeah. But it, what's going it, on? It now, makes perfect sense. It's, it's a built in story and half the police, half the population believes it. The other half thinks everyone's right, nuts. Probably so. misinformation <laughs> campaigns by some of these government entities well, as well. You're almost guaranteed that there are right. Because we know in the past they've done it. We know that for a fact now. But, you know, things are kind of interesting now ever since 2017. And, you know, the, you know, the new stuff coming out, this feels different. You know, the things that's happened, the stuff that's been happening in the last five or six years. And we've got, you know, congressional hearings about to take place and all of this, you know, it's, um, it's really, and I've been following it very closely and it, it you know, I, it's, um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm withholding judgment because I think, you know, this is, you know, I, it's, it, I don't know. It's intriguing, right? Because you're, you're getting, seemingly very credible people coming out and saying, no, some of this is real. Right. And, um, I don't know how much if you guys watch the latest whistleblower, you know, um, uh, David Grush, you know, the guy that came out recently, have y'all seen his interviews? Yeah. And that, no, right? I haven't heard of that guy yet. No. Oh, you haven't? No, not yet. A big, big, uh, whistleblower, like in front yeah. of Congress, the UFO retrieval program for the government. Yeah. He's going to be testifying before Congress next week. Um, oh, cool. You know, and uh, you know, you, yeah. uh, well, what's his name again? So remember, uh, David Grush, G R U S C. Name's been coming up a lot, and uh, yeah. one thing that sums this up for me, and why you know I don't try to buy all of it, Skinwalker Ranch. I think there's real phenomena on there, but I try to use discernment and not be like a, a cheesehead with it all, right? Because, uh, but when that Colonel John Alexander guy came there, and he goes, listen. You're not in control here. It's in control here. I think that sums up all this phenomenon completely. It gave me right. chills saying that. There's yeah. something really in charge here that's really in charge and has been here longer than us. And right. there's some creepiness to it. That's all I know. You, got, you guys remember the end of the uh, the Rush song, 2112? Right. You remember, you remember what they say? Tension, all something, parents of the Federation, we have assumed control. Right. <laughs> yeah, it happened. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, it's a, um, what's interesting too, it, the last few years, seeing a lot of this stuff come out and, you know, like what's his face from Blink-182, all of this stuff, right? Lou yeah. Alisano and all of this, this, this stuff that's been coming out. You know, people are talking about, um, 
you know, some of the folks that are claiming to know things, right, are saying that there's this mm-hmm. relationship between consciousness and it's not just what we, you know, what people have been saying, oh, it's, you know, it's space aliens or whatever, right? It's more complex than that. People are starting to talk about the uh, multidimensional or interdimensional idea now. You know, these are these are ideas that have kind of been they've been around for a while, right? Going back the, to the multidimensional Valet, idea right? and the time the us from the future traveling back in in the right. past to, to correct something that you know harms their future. The time travel uh, all, things, yeah, all three of those a popular are, one right now, right? So people are starting to, and I like this, right? Like getting away. I mean, because we were so for many years we were locked into this sort of 1950s. You know, it, it's got to be people, you know, it's got to be and it, creatures from outer space, right? From other Slime, Slimy lizards with lobster claws coming from our, right. another planets that eat our women. And, you know, <laughs> this is where, you know, talking about, you know, the, the concept of ancient aliens, right? And that you're, you're getting this like it's, it's something that's been around for a long time. People are saying this, right? So you watch things like the ancient alien show and like Van Daniken we're talking about. And as an archaeologist, like I can tell you, like this stuff, they're taking things out of context and this idea of like, you know, they're ancient technologies in the past and you can see evidence of it and how they're building monuments. They're thinking about this in the wrong way, right? Let's assume that this phenomenon is a real thing. Let's, let, let's start with that assumption, right? And that uh, we are interacting with non-human entities of some kind, right? And why would we expect that in the past, we, we can expect that they've been here for a while, right? That does make sense. Why would we expect that they would be doing things in the past that they aren't doing today, right? Why would we expect that these entities in the past would be doing things like helping build the pyramids and stuff like that? Are they today helping us build interstates and the Empire State Building and skyscrapers? No, right? They're they we're, we're, they're interacting with us in very strange ways. You know, you know people used to use the term abduct, abductions. Now experiencer is a more preferred term, right? Um, but that's where if you want to see this in human history, we should be looking for similar um, kinds of interactions that we have today, right? Um, Jacques Vallée was one of the first to really look at this idea, right? Where he was, you know, John Keel did it, you know, a few years later, you know, and uh, even Jung, Carl Jung, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize in late 50s, he did a book on flying saucers, right? And was looking at these ideas um, to some degree that, we may have been having similar kinds of interactions with these entities in the past, but we called them by different names, right? Fairies, angels, demon, jinn, you know, um, succubi and incubi, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, these, you know, uh, the hag that comes in the middle of the night and, you know, sits on your chest, you know, those kinds of things, right? There's similarities with these stories from mythology and folklore to the modern encounters that you hear you started hearing about in the you know really in the 60s with the hills but but really took off in the 70s and 80s right the, the so-called abduction phenomenon and you know especially the, the coming at night and you know the similarities with things like sleep paralysis and these kinds of things the the connections with things of a sexual nature and reproductive nature, right? You see that in things like fairy brides, right? And changeling babies and things in in fairy folklore, right? Mothers would warn their daughters not to get too close to toadstool rings in the forest. Right. Toadstool rings. What, how is that different from crop circles? Right. I mean, so you get these and, you know, Jacques Vallée was one of the kind of pioneers that, that really was, (coughs) his book Passport to Magonia that came out in 69, you know, was, 
was yeah, a, um, a big one. That's a big one. Right. And there was a lot of pushback from the uh, ufological community at the time on that, because the extraterrestrial hypothesis was the main, the main, you know, that was the main theory out there, the main hypothesis or model. And um, people recognize, oh, yeah, there's similarities, but they were just encountering extraterrestrials back in the day and that they just call them fairies or demons or whatever. Um, but it may be more complex than that. You know, and, and, and Valet was the one who started looking at some of the strangest encounters that didn't make any sense, right? You know, um, I don't know, are you familiar with this, the story? Um, the guy's name was uh, Singleton, I believe it was, in the late 50s, and he was a farmer that had, you know, a almost traditional flying saucer land in his field, and little short humanoid creatures came out with a jug, and they wanted water from him. Um, yeah, and, yeah, you know, right. And he gave him some water, and then they like cooked some pancakes for him on a like a grill. Yeah, yeah, and gave yeah. him pancakes, right? And they were like buckwheat the pancakes, right? It's the weirdest thing. And so most people just dismissed it. As, okay, that's absurd, right? Like, we can't, obviously can't take this guy seriously, right? Buckwheat it's pancakes it. from al space aliens, right? Unleavened bread. It's a story from the Bible. It's it's that's a story from the Bible. Jacques Vallée pointed out that the the idea of buckwheat cakes is a common motif in fairy stories in great britain right that's mm -hmm. the whole like don't eat the fairy food right you know that that kind of thing so like what the hell is this right that's weird you know so he was the first one to say hey we can't just throw out these really weird stories if anything this should be telling us that whatever this is that humans are experiencing where they're 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 having these experiences and trying to we're trying to understand them in ways that you know our mind can process them you know, you know, he went to he went, he went to Skinwalker Ranch, Doc Valet. Yes, I want to know that, but we probably I don't know if we ever will. I'm hoping he shows up in an episode. I wish. I hope. Yeah, I, I mean, that. he's he's still out there today. He's in his 80s now, but yeah. he's you know, I mean, he is the grand patriarch of ufology, right? He's one of our last living connections to the Project Blue Book era. You know, he was a colleague of of J. Allen Hynek. You know, and. Um, and partially responsible for Heineck, you know, changing his mind on the phenomenon. You know, I mean, when he, by the 70s, in, in, in his later years, you know, Heineck, who had literally been the guy that, you know, Project Blue Book, you know, the Air Force hired to be the debunker. He, you know, he the was staunchly against the idea until right. something flipped his brain. And he was a swamp gas guy. Completely went the other right? way. And, and yeah, yeah, he finally like, came out and was like, you know, no, I, you know, like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you know, and and it was it was in the late sixties. I always heard the a scientist from Close Encounters, Steven Spielberg, that was based on him. I heard that from the French. Crazy. The French scientist in Close Encounters is based on Jacques Vallée. Yeah, that's what I always yes. heard. Yes, that's right. You know, and so you know, Vallée is kind of our last living link to that early era. You know, um, and um, you know, he was he's he's out there doing stuff. He was on Rogan. You know, of all places, a couple of years ago, that was you know kind of a weird, surreal moment. I haven't seen um, that. I have to watch that one. You know, it was. To be fair, he, you know, he he's getting up there, right? And you know, um, and 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 maybe not as sharp as he once was, but um, but he he he's a pioneer, and especially a pioneer in the idea that we need to have a broader uh, approach to thinking about whatever this phenomenon is. Whether you're a skeptic or believer or whatever, or somewhere in between, you know, there is something going on here. Humans are having this, this experience, and it's an experience we've been having for hundreds and thousands of years that we don't fully understand. 
And, um, you know, whatever that is, we need to be, you know, we, we can't just be thinking of, oh, it's, it's aliens from outer space. Well, that, that's just our modern, not even modern, 20th century, you know, science fiction take on it, right? Because, you know, it's something much more, much more complex and interesting than that. Hey, man, did you see the documentary Witness of Another World? No. Tell me about that. Look, look it up. It's about this guy. I think he's in South America, and uh, he's having UFO experiences. And it's kind of shamanic. It's in Argentina. And okay. Jock Valet shows up to this dude's house, and he's right. like, he's like old-fashioned dress. Like he looks like he's like you know the horse and like the coffee commercial, you know. With, from, <laughs> But right? that's how he dresses and stuff. But it's good. It made me cry. Look at it. Look at oh, it. Okay. See if you find it. Yeah, uh, for sure. What is it called? Witness. Witness of another world. Witness of another world. And it's got old old drop. He's in it. He shows up. He shows yeah. up. It's a good one. You'll like it. It's really good. I would. Yeah, probably. I mean, so I don't know. This is we're we're in kind of a new place and a new era and trying to understand this phenomenon. You know, for me, for someone who has kind of dedicated their life and career to looking at cultures from the past. You know, I, I, I'm interested in, you know, it's a shame that you, you've got the, the ancient aliens kind of thing because that's most that's super hokey and, and just not uh, because there may be some interesting things to find there. But I think we're going to find it if it is there in things like folklore and mythology and these and those kinds of stories. And it's never going to be something we can really test, probably, you know, or have any real evidence from. Um, it's always just going to be suggestive, probably, you know, but um that doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking for it, you know. Exactly, and it's no. definitely heated up to a point to where you—it's on every <laughs> news station. I mean, it's—it's it's everywhere now. It's a—it's a, you know, a concern, and people are scared and people, you know, excited or whatever. Most people just don't even pay attention to it really at all. But most people don't pay attention. Yeah, well, you they know, don't care. Um, they don't want to talk about it. Well, and you know, you can kind of understand that, right? It's like the Matrix, you know. Plug me back in so I can taste that juicy yeah. steak. I don't know the difference if it's fake or not. Yeah. Just plug me back yeah. in, right? Enjoy um, the simulation. You know, and, you know, that's not even an, an unrelated metaphor maybe, right? I mean, because that's that's kind of what may be going on here is, you know, it kind of goes, it goes back to the idea that um, – the modern idea that hey we're living in a simulation right that comes from the matrix that that goes back to to an idea you you know in um kind of a fringe idea in quantum physics the idea of a holographic universe um you know the idea that um it, it kind of goes back to the like the double slit experiment in quantum physics if you're familiar with that right the, the an experiment that's been around for 100 years right where you if you you fire a photon um you know through a um you know two slits if you know it's uh, if you uh, if it's observed, uh -oh. you know, uh -oh, did we lose Jay? No. Well, he'll be, if, he'll be uh, back very well. If so, basically, what it comes down to, and you can Google it and, and, and see, but there's this you know experiment in, in quantum physics that shows that subatomic particles, when they're observed, they behave like matter, what we think of as you know solid matter. When they're not observed, they behave like a wave, just energy, right? And so, what it, that suggests is that there is a link between consciousness and what we think of as objective reality and matter, right? And you know, that's maybe what's going on here, right? Right? Like what we think of as objective reality, like the solid laptop, you know, um, it's really just, you know, 
we're creating this hologram in our brains. We're just interpreting these waves of energy, right, as matter. And that may be similar to what's going on with whatever this, the phenomenon is, right? People are encountering some sort of um, entity or consciousness or something like that. And their brains are translating that into a way that they can understand, right? And that's maybe what we're, what's going on. In the past, it might have been fairies or angels and demons or jinn or whatever. In the 1950s, 60s, it's aliens, right? Because that's what's in you know, popular culture. That's what we can understand. But it sounds uh, like when you're talking about the, the Heisenberg principle, that, you know, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle has to come right. into play. Like you said, with the, with the uh, particles, when we observe them, they change. When we don't observe them, they change. That's right. So the he That's exactly Heisenberg right. un un uncertainty principle, I believe, goes to the fact that what anything that you study, ultimately you change. So if we're in part of a matrix and we're, we're I mean, we have to That's study right. this hard cup to actually grasp it and fill it with water and drink from it. So doesn't yeah. that mean we're also alternating, alternating, altering our it own does. reality? So it does. We are Nietzsche. And, and that, that is that is the natural progression of that line of thought, right? And Heisenberg himself wrote a book on um, quantum physics and philosophy, right? That he was one of the few that tried to think about what are the implications of this stuff, right? That we're that we're doing, and you know, if that's the case, that we're really sort of creating our reality, you know, as we're going along, then almost nothing is off the table. Right. And, you know, so that's why, you know, it's hard to like, you know, to be skeptical about anything, really. Right. What are we what are we doing? Are we manifesting our reality all the time? Like you like, um, you know, many philosophies say maybe we are. Um, and if there's you know, other entities out there that exist at, at you know, what you might call different dimensions or things like that, you know, how you know, how would we. How would we interpret those, you know, in our reality? Are we are we part of them? Are we linked? Are we co-creating? Are we, you know, even, uh, you know, we talked earlier, you know, you know, Jeff, you were talking about the new term UAP, unidentified aerial phenomenon, instead of the old UFO term. And you know, I was kind of joking. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, trying to, like, make a more respectable term. Like, it's a graphic novel, not a comic book. Trying to change right? the vernacular, yeah. But it also makes sense in a way because it's getting away from the idea of, these things people are seeing in the skies, maybe they're not vehicles or ships, right? Maybe it's just higher dimensional uh, entities that we're only experiencing the part of them that we're able to, right? In with with our limited senses, you know. Um, are you guys familiar with the uh, the book Flatland uh, by Edward Abbott? It came out in the uh, 1880s. It was when people were starting to think about like what would a what would a fourth dimension be like, right? Instead of our three yeah. spatial dimensions, uh, he wrote a book called Flatland that was kind of an intellectual exercise to try and understand what that might be like. And Flatland is this two-dimensional world, right? <clears throat> so, you know, people are living almost like on a, on a sheet of paper, right? People are living on this flat sheet of paper. And so let's say you had a circle drawn on that flat, that flat you know, piece of paper. Somebody living there in Flatland, looking at that circle, living there in two dimensions, would just see that as a line, right? But us, in our three dimensions, we can look down and we can see that circle. And we can see the guy, the flat guy outside of the circle that's drawn on the page, too. We can take our finger and we can stick it into the circle. You know, we can see inside of it. He can't even see inside the circle. It's just a line to him, right? If we stuck our finger through flat land, right, he would just see this slice of flesh, like two-dimensional slice as it moved and changed shape, you know, as it moves through, right? He's only seeing part of it. That may be what, you know, some of this phenomenon is. It's us and our limited three spatial dimensions and, you know, a fourth temporal dimension, seeing higher dimensional phenomena or entities 
and we're only doesn't seeing part of it. currently science. But doesn't science for us as dimensions? We have the the, the three, um, and I, I don't remember what they are all called. But you know, it's length, width, depth, and what have you. Right. And then, and then they, a fourth dimension the being time because we are moving through right. time and space. You know, we're not always in the same place in the universe, galaxy. That's right. When we so we, that's our fourth dimension is movement. That's right. And so if you have entities that are existing in dimensions beyond time, too, then even time is something that you know, we experience limit linear time. They may not be right. They may be experiencing this in all different times. This is where you're, the idea of maybe they're time travelers. Maybe they're us from the future coming back. Right. Yeah. You know, who knows? Maybe we've gotten to a point like, where like we, that weird dude from Men evolved, in Black right? Three who's in all time zones at once. Exactly. Right. Have you seen Men in Black Three? Yeah, the one dude who's like he can, he can touch yes. all time zones. It's he's, and right. he's weird. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, all of these things are maybe possible. We we don't really know. And um, you know, it, it, it's fascinating to try and um, think about it in in these kinds kinds of terms, right? It's um. That's why I love, you know, people that are, that you still see, you know, skeptics in the bunkers. Well, they couldn't travel here faster than the speed of light. Well, I mean, we're so far, far beyond that now, right? I mean, that's not even, you know, it, it's, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it trying to understand what this is. It, yeah, with, with quantum physics, right. we only have just barely begun to scratch. Right. We have no idea yeah. what could be possible with other types of thoughts, other, other mechanics, yeah. other you know, physics. You know, there could be. There could be substances out there that if you touch it, it teleports to the other side of the galaxy without any kind of right. energy. You just boom, you're there. We don't know, you know. Yeah, it's, the possibilities it's just, are for, for, for me. You know, like I say, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm fairly skeptical in that I don't necessarily believe in anything, right? Because you know, what what does believing mean, right? But I'm open to almost anything, right? I mean, there there are these you know, people people experience weird things all the time. And you know we don't we don't fully understand the way the universe works. So who am I to you know you know say that um, something can't be right? Yeah, I'm with you on that all the time. People ask me all the time, you know, <laughs> do I believe in aliens? You know, I, I'm agree with you. I don't I don't think the the word belief works in this uh, in this subject matter. Someone asked me if I believe in, in aliens. I say no, I don't believe in aliens. That, that infers that there's some sort of religious connotation, or maybe right. there's some sort of reverence going on. And then also, if, even though I I believe in them, maybe there's also the possibility that you know, if science discovers they don't exist, then now I cannot believe in them. Uh, right. And I'm like, no, I don't. That doesn't work. That do, that no. word does not apply here. What I can tell you is is that they do exist, and it is mathematically impossible that they do not exist. Right. So they're here. Right. They're here to stay. There's no way to get rid of them. They may or may not be on our planet yet. But there are the entire universe, the entire galaxy. Number one is replete with living organisms. Number one, number two, right. extend it out to the universe. We're not alone. There's, it's mathematically impossible we're alone. Or alternatively, they've always been. Yeah. You know. Yeah, Do you see these scientists like uh, Neil Tyson and stuff? Like I like that guy, but he says stuff like they, there's no way they're right. here or whatever. You have people that I've interviewed and even myself who have gen been through experiences and right. have PTSD from it. Yeah. I mean, Betty and Barney Hill, that's one of the most famous cases ever. Yep. And there's pretty good evidence. So it's like a slap in the face when you see I, these little. Yeah, I, little I, I know a lot. I, they were studied. They were studied by two of Harvard's best psychoanalysts. Right. Yeah. John Mack. John, right? John Mack yeah. being the second one who right. took over when his, his predecessor right. left the office. Um, 
and he did how long of a study? 25, 35, 40 year yeah, long study? Many years. Yeah, with thousands, yeah, with thousands of people. And yep. his final conclusions are uh it happens. Yeah, he, something he, he, is going on here, yeah. right? The, the and, phenomenon uh, is real. He 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 can verify you that. And I, you know, I, well, I, I'm not an experiencer myself, you know, Jeffrey, I know you are, and, and I know other people that are, you know, people that are that are truly sincere, and I, there's no way I could ever deny their, that they experienced something. They did, you know. Mm -hmm. What that is, we may not fully understand it, you know. Um, it's unfortunate it's, it's subjective interpretation, so. You know, I have no doubt that it's a real phenomenon of, of mm -hmm. some kind. And, um, and that's, you know, Mac... You know his career. I mean, he was man. He he, he took a beating for it, right? Yeah. And, uh, but even know, against his peers, when he was reviewed with most of his papers, they couldn't find a flaw in any of his couldn't. research. So nope. he was redeemed all the time. Yeah, but um, but it was tough on him. And oh uh, yeah, and you know it's um, that's unscientific in my opinion. Right? You've got to. Um, I agree. You know that's not what science is about. That's dogmatic. Right. You know, to be able to. And this is what um, Avi, you know, Avi Loeb is going through right now. You know, he's getting a lot of grief as well. And all he's saying is, hey, look, what, why would we not at least explore this uh, this idea? Right. What? Why does there need to be a stigma? You know, if there's something there, cool. If not, cool. Let's study it. Why? Yeah, why, let's is find it, out for sure. why is it taboo to even study this? You know, um, and and. Uh, you know that that's not how the scientific method is supposed to work. I will say this: the scientific method itself, it's a wonderful tool. But remember, science is just a methodology, you know, and it's a methodology that has a number of parameters that are necessary for it to be applicable, right? You've got to have a, a hypothesis that's falsifiable. You've got to be able, you know, to experiment and repeat those experiments. And you know, a lot of phenomenon that just doesn't apply. And so the scientific method just is not a useful tool for trying to understand it. Um, and so, but just because the scientific method may not be applicable to something that isn't observable, repeatable, testable, doesn't mean that whatever that phenomenon is doesn't exist. It just means that you've got to find other tools to try and understand it. Or, or, or the methods of verifying, uh, you know, and with, with whether it's ghosts and goblins or, uh, you know, hauntings and that kind of thing, or UFOs and aliens, there's enough testimony, eyewitness testimony and whistleblower testimony that if you were to take the bulk of these mm -hmm. testimonials and people that have like actually sworn to their testimonies and had them notarized and, you know, publicly, mm -hmm. um, you know, authenticated, I guess you can call it, you could get a conviction in any court in the United States of America sure. with this information. Uh, you know, I'm well, sorry, but you could. And all of those things that you just talked about, again, may all be expressions, different expressions of the same phenomenon, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what may be happening. You know, that may be what's going on. All of these things that we label as paranormal or UFOs, even cryptids, perhaps, right, you know, may all be expressions of whatever this phenomenon is. And that's our limited three or fourth dimensional brains, you know, attempting to understand information that is beyond you know what our senses and what our mind can really process um and so we have to find ways to interpret, interpret that they may all be different expressions of the same thing and that's where a lot of people that are that are looking at some of this stuff now are maybe starting to come to that conclusion and uh you know um the people you know like um 
Diana Peluska and you know her book uh, American Cosmic, which I would highly recommend. Um, it looks at this idea uh, to some degree. She's heavily influenced by by Jacques Vallée as well, right? I mean, a lot of this comes goes back to um, such a pioneer. And um, you know, some of the people that are out there really really thinking about this, this is kind of where they're going with it. You know, that there's this link between you know consciousness and um, and the phenomenon that we don't fully understand yet. And you know, it, it is it, it it's more than just um, little green men from outer space perhaps right it's much weirder than that <laughs> it, it's it's a lot broader than people i yeah. mean it would it would probably shock people to inactivity if they were to know the like the real scope of it right you know um and that's probably why it's part of the reason why they're trying to keep it all secret but that's not the only reason but that's it yeah and, it's scary yeah. to a lot of people i think i think the people who would be least frightened and least uh incapacitated by all this coming out all at once would be the very, very native people. People who like, yeah, no electricity, live in wine claws, have a shaman as a, like the chief, the troop leader. I right. think we'll probably, be, oh yeah, we knew all the time. They could right. care less. Yes. Well, I mean, you kind of get that already, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> a lot of indigenous folks are kind of saying the same things, like, you know, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, we're catching up, just catching up in a lot of ways to things that many ancient peoples have probably, may have already known or at least understood in their own way. Right, um, yeah. you know, uh, so I don't know. It, it, it's kind of a it's a fun, fun idea to you know to to think about, um, but also a little scary, right? You know, um, because some people have very negative experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Jeffrey, it sounds like your experience. I mean, it wasn't entirely a positive one, right? I've been a little bit of everything. I mean, a yeah. lot of it. I interviewed Travis Walton. You know, Fire in the Sky. Right. And I asked him about uh, fear and the whole thing was with him, T Thomas Reed and him who have both been through experiences. And tr uh, Travis Walton said that if it were not for the fear, it would be a cakewalk. That's the biggest, the hardest part of it is just that fear. When you see this stuff, it's really scary. Right. And uh, I've had different ones where they've been exhilarating and, you know, wonder and all to where... One time I, I saw some beings at a lake that seemed reptilian-like and kind of like holograms. And I've been partying and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It was when I was younger. Right. But uh, my first initial reaction to them was fear. And, oh, my God, I'm seeing a fallen angel or the devil. And mm -hmm. at the same time, they were like saying I love you and singing and saying weird positive things to me. So it was really weird. That is but weird. The closest right? thing that I've ever, it was like telepathic sort of, but yep. the closest thing I've ever seen to them is like Mayan God cliffs and wood carvings and stuff. They were just really weird. But it was like a astral. It's like they, they weren't physical. It was like right. almost like the the Jedi Force Ghost <laughs> or something, right. but different. Not, not that, not blue, but kind of. Like a brain, it was weird. Definitely astral, another dimension. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was kind of scary. But one of the biggest ones I've seen light beings a lot. And those are usually positive, and I mm -hmm. think those may be the dead, or could be an ET, could be you know angel ET, same thing. But I kind of think I lean towards us, kind of like what we are as light beings as well. There's something to that. Right. And I've seen those a lot, and we're, we're like shamans say, luminous beings of light. And I, you know, we have the aura and all that. 
And I, I really think that's kind of what we are on a lot of levels. Like, a, there's something about Christianity saying you get a light body and some of these other belief systems. Like, I saw something about some Buddhist monks that died, and they claimed they did some kind of process so they could go to these bodies of light, and they left their bodies behind, and the bodies kind of acted weird and stayed, you know, didn't get old or decay as fast and had weird things happen. And there's something. There's something to that body of light. Oh, there was something I was going to say. We had Sunbow True Brother on, and he uh, he's had a lot of alien and Sasquatch experiences and been traveled to shamans and hung out with their, you know, tribes all over the earth. And his name's Sunbow True Brother, and you can find his site. It's pretty fascinating. He's up in Quebec. But he said a lot of these aliens... And he's Bigfoot as well. They have different factions, and some of them have gone over to AI and are cyborg-like. And there's different factions, some that, you know, have humanity's interests. There's some that do not that are like, you know, the cyborg AI weird ones. And basically saying in these times that decisions we make can make you go like, you know, AI rogue. It got pretty weird, but just, just there's a wide variety of these beings with different personalities like people. Right. There's a holes in every crowd, but there's also, you know, good ones. So, so I mean, these are the kind of things that Jacques Vallée and John Keel, if you guys are familiar with John Keel, most people know him for Mothman prophecies, right? Yes. But, you know, he also wrote a book called uh, Trojan Horse, uh, you know, in the early, like 72, I think, a couple of years after, you know, Vallée did Passport to Magonia, but along yeah. similar lines, right? That there are these weird anomalous encounters. People have these you know, just sometimes very bizarre encounters with people. And you, you can't just ignore the, the parent, what quote paranormal aspects of people's experiences, you know, and, you know, there, there's just something just different about, it. I mean, some of the things you're describing, right. These are not your, these are not your textbook, you know, grays, you know, that are you know, doing things like right? you're seeing, they're not even textbook reptilians. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, but you're experiencing these things and you're yeah, seeing yeah. these things that, you know. It reminds uh, me of a few things that Stephen Hawkins said. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the few right? things he said about aliens. And the one that the one that got me the first that he said was kind of intriguing. He said, you know, if we find ourselves going out looking for intelligent life, intelligent alien life forms, we might encounter something that is so incredibly foreign, so alien that we do not recognize it as life form. Right. And I thought, you know, that's a unique perspective. But then he also further, like right before he died, he said another one where he's like, it's probably not a good idea for us to go venturing out into space looking for intelligent life. We might encounter some sort of AI that would be detrimental to us. Look at what happened to the Indians or right. words to that effect. Yeah. So, you know, it's no, it's not a good idea for if you have if you've got sticks and fire to go out and go find the right. guy with ray beams and, and spaceships. <laughs> it's, it's not a good idea. The first thought there that he comes up with is, in a lot of ways, um, it, it's the same premise as like H.P. Lovecraft's cosmic horror idea, yeah. right? It's the, the very similar, and stuff like that, yeah. Very much, right? And you know, it, it's not entirely unconnected. I think you know, we, we you know, I've talked about this on, on the show somewhat. You know, I do a lot of work with um, you know uh, popular culture history and, and pulps in particular. Um, you know, looking at, you know, especially speculative fiction pulps and Lovecraft and Howard and these guys. And they were all um, toying with some of these ideas of ancient aliens and things, 
you know, uh, long before Von Daniken was. Um, a lot of the stuff, and they in turn were borrowing ideas from Theosophy and Madame Blavatsky and Atlantis and Lemuria and all of these things that were starting to become popular in the late 1800s. Um, and you get this, you, you know, interesting, um, you know, this, you know, what the book I'm, I'm kind of working on right now is kind of a history of, you know, the, of, you might call it weird archaeology, right? Like, like the, the title of this episode, um, you're going back to the 1800s and you get this weird intersection of um, occult thinking, early speculative fiction, and um, what you might call alternative archaeology nonfiction, right? Where all of these ideas keep intersecting with each other um, to the point where, you know, a lot of the things that we see in the modern day phenomenon you can see these things appearing in popular culture and in, in pulp literature and early science fiction in the same way that you can see it in folklore and mythology in the centuries before that as well. You know, it's, um, I actually just picked up a, um, I collect books. I just got a first edition of a, uh, of a book called the coming race, right? Um, uh, sometimes it's, it's called Vril, the coming race, right? It was a, a novel by, um, uh, Edward uh, Bulwer Lytton in the in 1870s, and it's an early kind of like Hollow Earth novel, right? With like this lost, ra advanced race underground, and you know, a guy discovers it's a book them. Hitler read. I'm I'm thinking it um, ended up indirectly becoming very influential on Nazi philosophy decades later, unfortunately. Um, but Thule um, society, yeah. Yes, it it, it, it was it, via Madame Blavatsky and Theosophy, right? And, uh, you know, it, it was fiction, right? But there's ideas in there that you see today, like some of the popular ideas on, on the phenomena is maybe, maybe this is not, you know, maybe they're ultra terrestrials, right? Is a term that you'll see. Um, it was actually John Keel that, that coined that. Um, a lot of people are talking about the idea that they may be coming from the oceans and things like that. That seems to be a popular idea. You know, that's been around for a long time. Um, yeah, that's, that's in a lot of ancient, ancient cultures, there's, the knowledge and aliens coming from the, coming uh, from the oceans. Ocean, so you got the right? Dogon in Africa and you got the Dogu in uh, prehistorical Japan. Yeah. 12,500 BC. A culture, a culture that, by the way, that started at 12,000, roughly mm -hmm. 12,500 BCE, just after the Ice Age went away and lasted till about 4,000 CE. That's a long time for a prehistoric right. society to, to make so it. We have these, time. we have these myths, we have early, you know, science fiction and pop culture with people coming up with these ideas of lost races and, you know, advanced people that are living underground or living in the oceans or, you know, these kinds of ideas. I mean, they're kind of out there percolating, right? And maybe Hume was onto something when he started touching on this, that they're archetypes, right? But, um, you know, why is it that they keep, these ideas keep coming back over and over again? Why, why do they have this appeal? Um, you know, one of the real, when the idea of ancient aliens really takes off even before Von Daniken in, in, in the late 60s is in the 40s and early 50s with something that was called the Shaver Mystery, um, it, you know, which a lot of people don't remember now, but it was a, it was a huge fact. heard of those. You know, it was, and it, it began in the science fiction pulps and amazing stories where, you know, there was this one guy that uh, started writing in letters uh, to the editor of Amazing Stories, this pulp fiction magazine, talking about how he had um, experiences with these subterranean beings like Daros and Taros, and they were 
they were descended from Atlanteans and Lemurians and they've been living underground for thousands of years and they manipulate our minds, right? And cause us to have fear, cause us to have, you know, some of these same ideas, right? And it, it seems pretty clear when you read this guy's writing that he has a lot of the hallmarks of, you know, what today we would, we would recognize as types of mental illness, probably, you know, what would have been called schizophrenia or those kinds of things. Cause he was claiming he was hearing voices and this kind of stuff. Right. But, you know, um, and the editor of amazing stories, a guy named Ray Palmer started publishing this stuff and, and he would tweak it a little bit and play with it. And, and it became a big fad, you know, this uh, shaver was the name of the guy. Right. And so it became called the shaver mystery. And, um, it had a big influence. There were these like basically ancient alien races that had been here on earth for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Right. And, um, you know, living underground now living in Mount Shasta, right. It brings in Mount Shasta, which is a you know popular you know, thing. Um, you know, these ideas are, are kind of out there and, you know, was he, was he really suffering from mental illness? Or you know, was he just tapping into some kind of universal consciousness thing and yeah, distorting it in his mind, <laughs> right? You know, right? I mean, because again, if, if if people are getting information that we can't really process, you know, you you interpret it in different ways. You try to make your mind tries to make sense of things, right? I mean, and that was a very influential thing. Um, you know, that was you know in the fifties when you you have the beginnings of you know sort of the modern new age movement was starting to come into play in the fifties and sixties. <clears throat> You know, Have you heard of the story of uh, Paul Benowitz? Because I yeah. read about Greg Bishop yes. and Project yes. Data. I've interviewed him a long time ago. You but interviewed he, Paul Benowitz? Not, no, uh, Greg Bishop. Oh, oh, Greg Bishop. Okay. Yeah. He wrote the right, book about Benowitz died in the 90s, right? Yeah, that was a weird uh, story where he was like seeing UFOs and stuff, but there was right? a government agency involved, and there might have been some black ops stuff, but it got weird. I know he took his own life or something. It got really yeah. weird. Not yeah, really he um, well, he's the one that came up with the story of um, the Dolce base. Um, you know, the, the whole Dolce base came from Paul Benowitz. Right? Oh. He's the one that like claimed that he went down there and they were like, you know, special forces fighting aliens. And they got in a like gunfight, you know, in the late 70s. Um, can you hear me? We lost Jay, I see. <laughs> yeah, I was checking something technical. Yeah, see, Jay. Jay, uh, see, I don't know what happened to Jay. Yeah, Jay got yeah, taken. <laughs> see, we started talking about something we shouldn't be talking about, maybe. Yikes. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the Skinwalker Ranch energy's getting us now. We start it talking ate, about it, Dolce Base and things get weird. It, I don't ate, know, it, ate, it ate Jay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he, did. He, he, he ended up supposedly committing suicide. Obviously, a lot of people thought it was suspicious, you know, his death, right? It was right out. He, he came out and told the whole, you know, gave a whole big story at a, um, a UFO conference, 94, I think, right about, you know, right about that time. Um, he was, he strangled himself with like a catheter tube or something. Weird. Yeah. It was, it's I, had a, day. I had a lot of UFO stuff in Georgia. And at one point, the silent helicopter appeared over the house that made no noise. And a guy dressed in like, like Top Gun kind of stuff, like mm -hmm. a jet or something. He goes, waved at us, and it, it shot off. And that right. whole time we were outside with friends looking at these UFOs in the sky, none of them ever came to me face to face, but that made me know that there was some kind of government agency involved. And then right. later at another house, I said something about turning my phone off, 
and someone put a two thousand dollar credit on my phone to keep it going and it was no one i knew and i think it had to do with him listening to the show i turned that phone off got and, and then the, the phone company sent me a check of it and i spent it on land taxes and a shopping spree but that's well, proof there are things that are monitor us about this stuff i know see, it so that's that's one of the things about um some of this modern disclosure that seems to be taking place now with, with, with some insiders starting to come out and these whistleblowers and, you know, you know, a lot of the um, you know, major media aren't really picking up on it, even though you're, they're about to have you know, congressional hearings are still, and I don't even think it needs to be a conspiracy. It's more just it, because it's a, it's been a subject of ridicule for so long, you know, nobody, people don't take it seriously, but, they should, and here's why. Even because what's going on here is, let's say that none of this is true, right? There's no non-human entities, blah, 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 whatever. Then you've still got these government um, you know, intelligence people that are coming out telling all of these stories. So then that means they're doing some kind of psyop then. That should also be a story. You know, like, why do we have all these high-level former intelligence people coming out saying that all of this stuff is real? If they're doing <clears> it to cover up for something or do all of that, that should be a story, too. You know, in some ways, it may be a bigger story, right? If you've got this, you know, conspiracy to create a fake idea of, of aliens and UFOs and stuff, you know, that should also be a story. Well, and it's know, not being taken yeah. seriously. You know? you know, some of those UFO cases that happened, uh, the Phoenix Lights, mm -hmm. and then there's Stevensville, Texas, where these big yep. UFOs appear over cities and everybody goes crazy and the mayor comes out and right. with a dancing alien. I think some of that may be government psyop. I hear a yeah. lot of things like they can do things with lasers and reflections. And I mean, I, or it may just be real technology well, we have and they're just seeing how people will so, react to it. That's right. And what's going on now with this modern one and i think this needs to be kept in mind right is there we may be doing things with plasma uh to do like radar spoofing and stuff like that and one of the things that seems to be going on with this modern um disclosure thing that's happening right is that there seems to be a disconnect between the air force and the navy and they seem to be at odds with each other it's mostly Navy pilots that are coming out talking about this stuff. Hey, this stuff's happening. They're buzzing us. This is, you know, we're at risk, you know, as pilots. And the Air Force is the ones that seem to be not cooperating at all. So I think we need to entertain the possibility that you may actually have two branches of the military here where the Air Force may be testing stuff on Navy yeah. pilots without their knowledge, yeah. you know, and messing with them. That may be part of what's going on here, potentially, right? That's one thing we should, you know, I, th I think keep in mind. But there this, be a disconnect between the Navy and the Air Force with this. You ever hear the story of Fort Benning, Georgia, that happened um, there? No, yeah, which one? Uh, I'm not familiar with look it up sometime. There's a gate, I mean, a book called East of Eden or something like that. But it's uh -huh. Fort Benning, Georgia. All the soldiers, like, tripped out and saw aliens and UFO stuff. And I used to be... Well, I guess he passed away, and we're still friends, hopefully. But John Vasquez was there. There were soldiers, like, crying for their mom and saw an alien. This all happened at a military base. It definitely sounds like a weird 
possible experiment. I've wondered if psychedelics. Like they ghost them or something? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and let me tell you. It certainly wouldn't be the first time, you know. Psychedelics can open you to these type of experiences. I've had them under, I've had experiences completely sober. I've had experiences partying my ass off. Right. I'm with you, man. I went, <laughs> I went through my phase back in the 90s, especially. I had... Uh, you know, I'll tell you on on acid one time. One of the one of the strangest paranormal experiences I had was a buddy and I. You know, a bunch of us were tripping. This back in the '90s, you know, the old days, and um, we like linked telepathically, and we both knew it. And we just were, the two of us are just laughing, right? Because we're the only. Everyone else is like, "What the hell's wrong with you two? Because our minds were linked, and we were talking telepathically. With each other. We were communicating telepathically, and yeah. it was real, and it lasted for several minutes. And, you know, that's one of those things that I've experienced, like, I have yeah, no idea yeah. how to explain it. It was very real. But I mean, yes, we were tripping, right? But yeah, not yeah. not tripping so much that we didn't realize what was happening. You know, it opens your senses. Me and a friend were going down the road and we were right? just a little short ways from my house. And, and uh, he was driving when he shouldn't have, I'm sure. But it wasn't that far. And then we had just started doing it. And we got home like a few minutes later. But anyway... There was a big angel on a cloud going like this, and we both saw it and, and right. stopped the car and saw it and was right. like, do you see that? Do you see that? It was like right. a big beam of light standing on a cloud like highway to heaven. <laughs> and I've seen those completely sober. Maybe it was a right. flashback at the time, but right. I saw two leave my house at Silver Lake. Like they had been in the house, flew through the roof, and went straight to the heavens. When I was listening to the Bible on a TV, DVD, whatever, right? Some, for some reason, <laughs> but I can listen to the Bible and then listen to Norse stuff and go to then go to shamanism. I'm all over the place, right? But uh, <laughs> but I saw these two big beams of light leave my house. I was completely sober, not even weed yeah. or, or nicotine <laughs> or anything, but. Yeah. You know, there's something to it. And there are. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, hallucinogens have been a part of many, many cultures for many years, right? I mean, there's a, you know, a lot of people are, are into DMT and ayahuasca these days, right? And, and exploring those ideas. Yeah. That's something I've never done. I haven't done, I haven't done hallucinogens in, God, well over 20 years probably. But um, that's one thing I'd, I'd be interested in trying is ayahuasca. Um, I'd like to. Yeah, same here. You know, you know I'd, like, the right I'd like to that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, um, you know that, I've done that's a few something I like. Things late in, in the past few years, but it's been this type of stuff that's really short. That's mm -hmm. the way I like it because some of right. that blood pressure issues. I'm too old to be doing that trip of some eight hours. Some of this crap's like eight hours, and you think you're gonna die. I don't know if I can do that. Right? I'm almost yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm too old for that these days. Don't <laughs> worry. That's why DMT, and then there's some like right. uncle of LSD or something yeah. that's like only fifteen minutes. Fifteen or minutes. minutes. Yeah, I like that. Right? I like that. <laughs> there, there's there's a less potent <clears throat> thing to ayahuasca that it's on one of those islands near. Um, Palau and in, in, you know outside of Australia, where they filmed Survivor, uh, uh -huh. and it's, they actually they had the contestants drink this brew, and oh. it's a mild hallucinogen, but it's basically, um, well, the ingredients are basically a fermented fruit. I forget which kind of fruit and grandma spit. Uh, literally, the the old women of the village take these over ripened fruit, chew them up, and spit them into a vat. I mean, they literally like, oh, and like they're hawking loogies into this big vat, and then they boil it up and give it to the men, and the men get just for snickered. Like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they are lost drunk. Right. 
it's really powerful, but it's, it, I don't think it's as strong as ayahuasca. However, right. it is, uh, most of the contestants threw up after drinking it. Interesting. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I went through my psycho knot phase, you know, like, you know, like we all do in college, right? And, uh, well, <laughs> all yeah, this really began, but the seeds were sown when my cousin and I, at the age of 16, <laughs> went to the uh, beer drive through bought cigarettes and three cases of beer and some other things and went right. driving through uh, Western Pennsylvania and Eastern Ohio. Uh, that was a fun trip, but Careful, yeah, they have moth everyone says, idea. you know, the gateway drug is marijuana. And I say bull honkery. Uh, it's cigarettes. <laughs> it's tobacco. Cause if I didn't that's smoke cigarettes first, I would have never tried weed. Yeah. I would have never tried cocaine. That's, I would have never tried the, all yeah, these other chemicals I tried. <laughs> yep. You're so right. It was, it was getting that, that first pack of smokes out of that cigarette machine when I was 14. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> and it was Marlboro Reds that we we, we my, my cousin was already smoking. He was like fifteen right. and a half, and yeah. he's a little bit younger than me. But I, I was sixteen. It was my first uh, car trip, so I, I took my yeah. parents' nineteen seventy six Pontiac Le Mans from Rockville, Maryland, to Youngstown, Ohio, seven hour trip. Right. And I asked my dad. I said, "Hey, Dad, um, I don't want you to write directions. Just give me the key roads. What am I getting on? I know I'm going two seventy to seventy Pennsylvania uh, Turnpike." Uh, then where do I go from there? And he, he just told me a certain roads how just to get into the city of Youngstown. Once I hit Youngstown, I was like, oh, I turn here. Boom. There's my family's trucking depot. I turn here. Boom. And then a couple more roads, and I was at my grandparents' house in Lickety, just split no time at all. Um, right. So it was a fun trip, but the things we did is that, that that one trip, that's when I started smoking cigarettes at the age of 16, and yeah. downhill from there. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I did my, my psychedelic phase, but then I, I, I did um, – at that point, start looking into different types of meditations and stuff. This is probably late 90s, mm -hmm. you know, um, trying to do it uh, naturally, right? Because that's kind of the idea. It's the same idea, right? It's, yeah. it's expanding your consciousness and trying to tap into whatever this is, right? This, you know, making new connections in the brain, making new, new pathways. I, work, um, yeah. I ended up, um, for me, you know, I, and I tried different paths, you know, Western, you know, es esotericism and hermeticism and things like that. And then and Eastern traditions like Buddhism and transcendental meditation. I ended up, uh, Kriya yoga ended up sort of becoming the thing for me, which um, I don't know if you ever heard of Yogananda, right? Autobiography of a Yogi is a famous, famous no. book. Um, that's I know the word that. Naga refers to the snake people, right. but I don't know the book. Right. You know, um, Did you say yeah, Naga? What was the title? Yogananda. Uh, Yogananda. Uh, oh, not, oh, Yogananda. Yogananda. I'm sorry, I heard something cool. Yeah, I have heard of Yogananda. I've heard yes. of that book. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and sort of doing that for a while. And, you know, there's a lot to this. You know, I mean, these these experiences and these things, there's there's real. You know, there, there is something real going on here. Um, you know, beyond what we think of as our three or four dimensional reality. And yeah. uh, you know, and all of these things are kind of related. And it's funny to see people. You know, I was listening to a podcast uh, the other day that I, I enjoy quite a bit. It's called the uh, UFO Rabbit Hole. And uh, by Kelly Chase, who does it. It is certainly that, yeah. Yeah, she, she's she's younger and she got into this in 2017, right, when all of this stuff came out. And she it, it's fun to hear a younger person. She's, like, slowly discovering all of these things that a lot of us that have been doing this for a long time, like looking at consciousness and looking at all these things, you know, we're doing back in the day. And, um, you know, people are independently rediscovering the same things and all of these things are sort of related and they're, you know um, – and it, it's fascinating to see, um, you know, you know I, I hang out on Reddit a lot, which skews very much younger. Um, and, uh, you know, it is fun to see a lot of the younglings just sort of just discovering some of this stuff for the first time, you know, stuff that, you know, us OG folks have been, you know, 
into for many decades. Hey, can I open you in other ways? Uh, when I was in high school, uh, that's probably 83, 84, Pink Floyd finally came out with the, their latest album, right? Delicate Sound of Thunder, right? <laughs> right. And so me, me and my friend, who was a freshman, one of my best friends still, we, we, were, we were just enjoying the album. We actually right. went and saw the concert in, in JFK. But he heard one of his freshman uh, co-students walking down the hall going, hey, there's this new band out called Pink Floyd. And he literally walked up to them and slapped them in the face and said, Psh! They've been around since the '60s. <laughs> right? He walked away from them. So nope. you got to be careful. Sometimes they just they something is so new they think it just came out. And it's like well, sorry, this I mean, a lot, a lot of them do. Years right? ago. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, but those are teaching moments too. Right? Yeah, they some yeah they you can know? be a teaching moment, but they can. I just be. I, that struck me as funny that my friend. They can be frustrating like, sometimes too because so yeah, frustrating. He actually them. slapped another student because they thought Pink Floyd was brand new. You know, like really, what's your source for that? Where's the YouTube video to back that up? Like YouTube video. That, I got books. I don't know what you what, you know what. Yeah. <laughs> Back in my day, YouTube was called books. Right. <laughs> but, but it's cool. Right. It's cool seeing um, seeing younger folks kind of rediscovering this stuff for the first time. Right. You know, on the other hand, though, they're, they're seeing all the, the what looks like disclosure. Oh, my God, it's about to happen. We're going to get the truth here. Like we're a lot closer oh, than we have you. ever been. But I, I don't I don't really I'm not skeptical. Yeah. I'm very skeptical about it. I'm seeing it in my lifetime. Right. You know? They all they in all think 99, it's 99. I have like one breath left being like, here's the story. I'm like, great. I'm going to hear the story. And I'm yep. done. And that is, you know, like, oh, that's how it'll happen. Sweet summer child. You know, yeah. you don't know. We've been here so many times before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know? um, you get encouraged, right. you get I discouraged. It's right. yeah, it's an up and down. It's like <laughs> manic depression, you know. <laughs> right? well, it, it really thing, is. Like, oh, they're going to tell us. Oh crap! No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing we need to address is Atlantis. It's in the title. Yeah, let's talk about some, this, right? some props. Do you think it's down here in the Florida area? I've heard it so many different damn things. I don't know where the hell it is. You know, so Antarctica. I, 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 I I don't I, I I you know so Atlantis is something I've you know I've been fascinated with it as a concept. I think that um, again this is kind of an archetype, right? This idea that we're missing something in our history, right? That we're missing, um, and I think it's in a lot of ways it's the same trope as this idea of maybe there is some kind of uh, there's a lot of similarities between the Atlantis trope and archetype. And the ancient um, astronaut, ancient aliens idea, this, this concept of, you know, something advanced in the past that uh, we have lost, right? It's missing. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, in um, you see it in, in popular culture, which is kind of where, like, you know, what, what I was talking about earlier, we see this in, in um, you know, beginning in the 1800s. You know, the idea of Plato's Atlantis, this lost civilization, it kind of comes back into popular culture with Jules Verne with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It had kind of been forgotten for the most part until you get this scene in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea where the Nautilus goes by, you know, Atlantis and they see Roman columns under the ocean and all of that, right? And that inspired a guy named Ignatius Donnelly uh, to write a book called Atlantis, the Antediluvian World in the early 80s, um, or early 1880s. Um, and that became a hugely popular book. And a lot of the modern ideas of Atlantis, the idea of, a, of this, you know, advanced civilization in the past um, that was maybe in the, in the Atlantic Ocean where Plato said it. Um, and we can see evidence for it by looking at, by saying, hey, there's pyramids on this side of the ocean and pyramids on that side of the ocean. So they must have come from this central idea that all comes back from this book, um, you know, by Ignatius Donnelly from 1882. And 
a lot of even what you see with Graham Hancock today, you know, you know, with his idea of, you know, this lost ancient advanced civilization, a lot of the stuff that he's talking about comes straight from Ignatius Donnelly, you know, 150 years ago. Actually, I got a copy. I got a first edition of it back here somewhere. I was going to ask you book. about him. Uh, I was going <laughs> to ask you about him. About Graham? Yeah. I saw, I saw the show. It seemed like they were trying to say giants were doing a lot of stuff, weren't they? Was, you know, Graham. I like it all, but. <laughs> yeah. Know. So I followed Graham. I think giants are part of it for sure. Absolutely. I I um I, I got Fingerprints of the Gods when it came out in 1995. Um, I have it. Yeah. You know, got it when it first came out. And, you know, at the time I, um, I'd been, in, I was in school, but I, I dropped out and was working and, uh, you know, I'm reading this book and it, you know, I, I'd always been interested in this stuff. You know, I read Von Daniken like, you know, years before and all of that. And, um, fingerprints was just absolutely riveting. It sucked me in like nothing else. Right. Um, talking about, he never uses the a word in fingerprints, right. He never mentions Atlantis, right. But you knew that's what he's talking about, right? But at the same time, he's basically taking the Von Daniken idea, right? Of you know, there's where the evidence for the civilization is what looks like advanced technology that we can see in artifacts in the past, right? And but he didn't want to call it aliens, right? So he's going with a you know Atlantis-like civilization instead. But he's even referencing it in the title, "Fingerprints of the Gods," right? You know, that's a subtle reference to chariots of the gods, you know. Yeah. So he's, he's playing with that idea and, um, you know, and uses a lot of the same things. Um, he was, he relied on the work of, um, a lot of the work of, of a guy named Charles Hapgood, um, you know, who was somebody who was pitching both the idea of a pole shift cataclysm was, was a big um, idea of his. And that's well, that, that's actual, that's actual fact because I, I have studied right? geography and geology and we, there are, um, there are telltale marks on the ocean floor of when the poles have shifted direct. And we can, cause they can see the alignment of the metallic ores that the magnetic right. metallic ores on the bottom of the ocean change orientation each time the poles flip. So right. that's, that's actual fact. So it right. does happen. It will happen again. Well, but those are magnetic pole shifts, right? Where the magnetic yeah. poles flipped. Right. And that's what changes the orientations in the rocks. What, what Hapgood was talking about was earth crust displacement where the idea oh, of the yeah. Earth's crust itself slides around yeah, it, the globe like the loose skin of the, the, the inner mantle, right. Uh, well, the, the mechanics of the pulse, we don't know if it's a, if it's a sharp, sudden, violent well, thing or if it's a gradual, or if it's a sudden, violent thing, okay, yeah, or right, there's, it's going to be an extension-level event. Certain creatures are going to not survive it. Certain areas are going to change. The maps right. are going to change. Bodies of water are going to change. And... Uh, livelihoods are going to change, but well, we don't know for sure. We've never been through problem, one, so we don't know. Part of the problem when Hapgood came out with this idea, you know, in the in the fifties, uh, it was yeah. a lot of a lot of the evidence he was using was showing that you know there were uh, you know temperate fossils and things in Antarctica and things like that. Right. The problem is he wrote this right before plate tectonics became an accepted mechanism to explain a lot of the same things, right? right. So he didn't yeah. have all of the data that we were we were about to literally have a couple of years later, right? The idea of continental yeah. drift had been around for a long time. Wegener came up with it in the early 1900s, but nobody really accepted it because there was no good mechanism to explain it. Yeah. And um, so that's part of the problem with Hapgood's crustal displacement theory is a lot of the evidence that he was using to make those arguments would be explained 
just a couple of years later by plate tectonics, you know. Yeah, and, and he uh, didn't have the mechanics down. He didn't know about subduction and abduction zones, so That's he didn't right. know how it worked, but he had he knew it was there. <laughs> and so so Graham picks up on this, right? And looking at the idea of hey, maybe there have been pole shifts in the past. Maybe this is this you know great cataclysm is what happened to this supposed uh, you know lost civilization. And so for a long it time, be the, the pole flood story. Shift, it could be why the flood story is. Some people think the flood story is you know God threw a rock at Earth and this big rock hit the Pacific Ocean and you know flooded all the coastal zones. Uh, that wouldn't account for deep, deep inland flood stories. And that's they have them and that in Brazil. What, I mean, what Graham was going with, right? Yeah, uh, so, so like he's, he's, particularly, uh, he's particularly good with talking about uh, Lake Titicaca and that, uh, that <sighs> giant, that it's like the highest uh, highest freshwater lake in the in the planet. Uh, and most of the buildings that are right. there, those big H blocks in these buildings from ancient times were, they think, was knocked over by some kind of cataclysm. And they say they think it was a flood because there's a lot of uh, sea going fossils up on that ridge, which should not be there. Right. Well, so. I mean, yes, yes and no. I mean, there, there's ways now that we, we have other ways to explain it other than pole shifts now, though, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, it, so, but Graham was working with that. Eventually, he, you know, he abandoned that, you know, by the late 90s and um, started looking for another mechanism. And, and of course, today, you know, he you know, um, is going with the idea of the, uh, the younger dry ass impact hypothesis, yes. uh, which is the idea that, you know, a, um, um, either a, a comet or an asteroid uh, impacted or broke up, right? Here's the fun thing, right? I was talking about Ignatius Donnelly and his Atlantis book that came out in 1882. He wrote a sequel in 1883 called Ragnarok, um, in which okay. he proposed a, uh, you know, a, a comet or a meteor is actually what caused the uh, destruction of Atlantis, right? So even this impact hypothesis goes back to Donnelly in the 1880s. You know, it's been around for a long time. Um, this is a, it's still kind of a controversial theory in archaeology. It's, um, it's, it hasn't been really, there's problems with it. And, um, you know, I've actually uh, recently excavated a site in Florida that um, where that, um, that horizon should be, <coughs> even potentially a pre-Clovis site where we get some very early dates. Um, mm -hmm. The part of the problem with the, the impact hypothesis and, and we did testing for it. We're, we're you know, I've, we've taken samples and we're going to, you know, we're going to look to see, you know, if there are any of the, um, um, some of those telltale markers of an impact, but um, we don't really see the same kind of things here in Florida that you do in other parts of the, you know, North America, um, where it looks like there may be something going on. And that's one of the problems with the impact hypothesis is we should see it everywhere. Um, there's no doubt that there was some, you know, a, a climactic event. The Younger Dryas is this kind of weird, somewhat unexplained, you know, like many ice age right right when you know the, the larger the greater ice age was ending things are starting to warm up all of a sudden for a thousand years things freeze up again and it gets cold and then you know and so there is something weird going on there and you know people have been trying to come up with hypotheses to explain it you know for you know, near for really over a century now since it was discovered um and you know none of them have been entirely satisfactory um you know the impact hypothesis is just one of of several um, you know, volcanism, like extreme volcanism could explain some of the same things too. Um, but then that, then you got to ask, okay, what's causing extreme volcanism then, <laughs> right? All, you know, um, so there are some weird things going on. 
some of the problems, the extinctions that we see of the megafauna, they don't occur all that rapidly. They actually occur, you know, over, you know, a long period of centuries. Um, so we're I mean, going to have what globally, sure. what five or six huge, uh, like global wide extinction level events. And there are several smaller ones that are, you know, continent wide or, you know, right. smaller area wide, but, but they don't take place. For the whole that, planet. But they don't take place at the same time all over, like you might expect with right. some kind of major it's, impact event, right? Yeah. And so, so yeah, things there's there's some weird stuff going on there. But the impact hypothesis by itself um, doesn't, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, the jury's still out. Truthfully, is what it is. I mean, it, it really is. We're all you know, people are still working on it, and uh, you know, it's Graham though latched onto it. Not because the evidence is there, but because it's something that fit his already preconceived hypothesis. And that's one of the problems I, I, I have with, with Graham's work. And he even admitted this. In 2002, that's where he really lost me, you know, right? I was so inspired to get back to kind of the story, right? After reading Fingerprints, I got into it. I read all of his courses. I read Hapgood. I read you know, Hamlet's Mill. I, I went through all of his courses. I started to realize that. He was kind of cherry picking stuff a little bit. I started to realize this, but I was intrigued enough that I decided, you know what? I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to become an archaeologist. And I did. Um, I started to learn over time. There were problems with his methodology. You know, as I started to learn the real stuff, and I started to, you know, get out there and dig the holes yourself. You know, it's a it's a different story. And um, you really where, where Graham lost me, even as I started to disagree with him, I still thought, you know what, though, he, he's he's still challenging things and making us think. And that's good. You know, even if he's wrong, it's a, it, it's good to question. Right. Always, you know, and, and keep challenging ideas so you don't become set in your ways and just accept things. Um, but in 2002, uh, it really started around 2000 where with uh, the Yonaguni monument. Are you familiar with the, the monument off the coast of, of yeah. um, Japan? Step, right? step pyramid type structure off of the Japan, one of Japan's structure. lower islands. Right, which Graham very much wanted to be man-made, right? But, you know, they went there. He even brought Robert Schock, who's best known, you know, as the guy that, you know, gets the hypothesis on, you know, the Sphinx being older. And, you know, even Robert Schock dived in and was like, no, man, this is natural. I mean, yeah, it's it's fragmenting regularly, but rock does that, you know? I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, you know, the cliffs of Dover, uh, it's like, you know, hexagonal, yep. you know, pieces of rock. Uh, nature does regular straight things. Line. It, it, it's in an hexagonal pattern. You know, it, and, it's and, nature. So. And yet, Graham refused to accept even Robert Schock telling him, like, no, man, this isn't, you know, like we're friends and colleagues. I'm telling you, you know, look, I'm the 10,000 year old Sphinx guy, and I'm telling you, this yeah. is man made. This is not, you know, remnants of Lemuria here in the Pacific. It's, it sounds, and, sounds like Graham's having a little bit of um, Dr. Zahi Hawass ism. It, it, well, it is, right? I mean, you, you see it bo on both sides, right? You see, it, because at the end of the day, it's about egos, unfortunately. Egos come into play. And for Graham, it started to be more about showing... His nickname is the ego. <laughs> yeah, and, but, but, and, but Graham's got the same problem. And you saw this in the conflict between the two in the 90s, big time. And also John Anthony West, who... You know, I actually, while I disagreed on him a lot of stuff, I used to correspond with him and I, and I loved him. Yeah, uh, he's, he's you know, passed away since, though. And he passed away a few years ago. And, um, you know, but, um, and he was incredibly gracious. We exchanged, we corresponded, you know, some in the, in the 90s, you know, as I was just getting into grad school. Um, but, uh, but Graham, you know, he disagreed with, with John on that. <laughs> and they had a kind of a little falling out for a while. They, they you know, 
patched it up, but because Graham continued to run with it and publish it, you know, even though, you know, he was being told like, you know, by, you know, not by mainstream folks, but, you know, by the people like Robert Schock that this wasn't legit. Um, it became more about, you know, his ego and not being wrong than about trying to get to the truth. And it, it really came to a head in 2002 when he posted this sort of manifesto on his website. It's actually still up today. You can find it by Googling it, where he made the case that he saw his role as something like an attorney, right? Or an advocate, because he uses the British term, um, and that he's defending a client. And his client is this lost civilization that he knows is there. And so it doesn't, uh, it's not his role to acknowledge any evidence that's contradictory uh, to his client, this lost civilization. And because he was getting challenged on a couple of things, right? And basically what he was doing was admitting that he's cherry picking evidence to support his preconceived idea rather than letting the evidence lead where it's supposed to go. And that's where he really lost me. And I'm like, man, you can't, that you can't do that. That's, you know, that is intellectually dishonest. You know, it's okay to be wrong. We're always wrong. Archaeologists are wrong. Historians are wrong. We're always wrong. You know, it's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to be intellectually dishonest, you know, because we're never going to, we're never going to understand any of these things if we do that. And um, that's where he lost me. That's where I, you know, I, I became very disappointed in him. And he lost a lot of followers at that point. He kind of disappeared for a little while. That's when he went down the ayahuasca route there in the early 2000s, you know, before he kind of resurrected his career a decade later, you know, by, by showing up on Rogan. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, you see that with a lot of his new stuff too, right? He's still, you know, it's unfortunate because I think he really meant well and, and, and I think he was genuine in the 90s when he was really still exploring this stuff. And he got treated unfairly by the archaeological community to some degree. He really did. Um, and now he's just bitter. And, and it comes across, and you talk about his new show, he just comes across as bitter and angry, and he misrepresents the archaeological community a lot. That's why you're getting a lot of archaeologists are now angry and bitter and are, and are being shitty to him. Like, and now it's just back and forth. Everybody's just being, you know, really, Everything's just you know, really mean to each other and toxic to each other, and it's not good, right? Yeah, it's a cutthroat, uh, I guess, uh, research division yeah. you want to call it uh i mean I, I i've seen plenty of things on on dr zahi was and i think he's an absolute ass and i think he's well oh, named yeah. the last few Listen, name. he, he is not popular arrogant. among archaeologists let me tell you yeah he, uh, he's he, yeah, he's he's the same he's green archaeologist but he's in the same shoe as graham hancock nobody likes yes. him. uh but he was in control of some of the best data we've ever been able to get on, the, on the pyramids but he refuses to hear the correct you know logic on it and i i Everything he has said about the the, the pyramids, I think he's absolutely one hundred percent wrong. Yeah. It's it's complex. We could do whole episodes on this stuff. We got sure, we right? got about seven minutes left. We, yeah, we, we don't have enough time to talk about the pyramids. I can talk pyramids. Believe me. We'll yeah, yeah we can do that. I I can do yeah. a whole thing just on the Sphinx and the whole of record. That's a fun. We'll have to do a trilogy, a part three. Yeah, we'll just do that part three next week. We'll get you on here when you're eighty for Indiana part five. Right, Shanks part five. I gotta ask you, how, have you read the Conan comic yet? I, I ordered it, but I haven't got it yet. The uh, I'm, one. I'm, uh, 
I, I'm a consultant on the kind of comic. I write the essays oh, in the back nice, of it. Nice, nice. Oh, cool. uh, do I have one around? Conan here? I got the Barbarian by Titan Comics. Yeah, I got one. It started. It started to get hard to find. I finally found one on eBay. I got one coming, but he ain't sent it yet. He better send it. <laughs> That's well, all I know. Well, check out check out the essay in the back because it's by I yours will. truly. I'm I'm basically doing like Stan's soapbox in the back, but Hyborian Age version. That's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, it's fun. So, uh, yeah, I, I work I work with those guys. I work uh, as a consultant for um, Heroic Signatures, um, who are the the, own, the rights owners to um, all the Robert E. Howard properties, including Conan. Uh, so Marvel, and now they got it, right? Yeah, Marvel had it for a while. Marvel had the license back for a while, and. And um, Heroic Signatures took it back, and um, they're now they're publishing it themselves uh, through Titan Comics. Um, Titan Books is a uh, you know British company that does a lot of great work, um, and you know so I've been working with them. They're they're doing you know publishing some stuff. They got a lot of projects out there. Let me let me think about what I can. I'm allowed to talk about. Um, there's going to be a few things announced this weekend at Comic Con. Actually, I wish I was out there at San Diego, um, yeah. I, you know, but uh, they're going to have a panel this weekend they're going to be announcing some stuff um there are definitely some cool things in the works that uh, my nda prevents me from talking about i wish i could but, but, but there's some going to be some cool stuff coming um you know with the uh with, with the robert e howard properties including conan um awesome. you know in, just, in various media um but yeah I the comic yeah. is good man it, it, it's cool it's old school feels like old school savage sword you know it's uh mm. You know, um, you know the the writer uh, Jim Zub is a um, he's he's a real fan. He gets it. Um, you know the uh, the editor Matt Murray's a good guy. He's you know one of us, one of <clears> us. <throat> you know he's a true fan. I've uh, heard Jim Zub's name before. He's done other stuff, hasn't he? He's been like oh yeah, he oh, yeah, yeah. He's been around, and he and he wrote it's like Z U G G right? Uh, Zub Z U B Z U B. Yeah, um, yeah. He's he's been you know writer for Marvel and some of the other you know big big names. For <clears> long time he's been around for a while uh the artist right now is a um uh is uh from spain his name's uh rob de la torre and he looks like he's channeling uh busema and frazetta you know mixed with that, oh, wow. that european the european you know 70s european vibe too right he's doing uh, yeah. traditional inks which a lot of folks don't do anymore a lot of people just do pencils and they ink yeah. stuff digitally you know inking's become yeah. comic inking is becoming a lost art and he he does old school inks. In fact, I really want to pick up an original page. Um, so it's cool. It's it's um, check it out for sure. Very much a throwback, you know, to old school Savage Sword. You know, even more definitely. Old My Marvel. thing with Marvel, I tried to keep up with those. There's just so many. It's like Conan yeah. doing this. Conan, it's like man, y'all gonna have to. Yeah, that's the thing with comics. The Avengers There's and stuff, too many you know? things coming out to a point to where right. you're like, oh my god, this is like cocaine. I had to like slow down. Yeah. Like, oh. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like that. When it's I was collecting many. comics in the '90s in college, God, I, were, I was collecting the X books. There's like six or seven X-Men books. There was I collected all the right. Spider-Man books. There's like four or five Spider-Man books. I did all yep. the Batman books. There's five or six of those coming out. Superman. Oh, there's many. like four or five it's of those. It was like mind-boggling. I go every Wednesday a, when the new yeah. when the new prints came out, and I'd walk out with a stack, you know, thicker than two Bibles. <laughs> yeah. Now I have like 13 big long boxes, and running my mom's like, you have to find somewhere else to put these because everything with her right now. Crap. But well, some some interesting ones that I've been I'm I'm getting is that Fire and Ice prequel one that's coming out. Right. That's gonna be really good. There's a yeah, James looks, Tinney and uh, Dracula coming out. They just announced in October. Yep. We're James Tinney and doing it. But one of the ones I'm checking out that y'all might want to check out Void Rivals. Have you heard of that by Robert Kirkman? 
check this out. They've made they're working with Hasbro. It's called Void Rivals. It's okay. a new one that just started. I would try to get one as soon as you can. Number one, because it's going. They're already doing like a third print on it, but you can find it. But mm -hmm. check this out. Transformers, GI Joe, Void Rivals, all in the same universe, and a Transformer shows up in this comic, and then somehow Josh Williamson, Joshua Williamson, is doing a Cobra Commander and Duke. And they're all like in the same universe. It's weird, but it's like really well done. Huh. Like I'm hoping it's going to be successful, but nice. they're doing a new Transformers. And it all ties into this Void Rivals comic that just came out oh. by the guy that did Walking Dead, Kirkman. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kirkman's great. Yeah. 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 So yeah G.I. Okay. Joe and the Autobots are going to team up against Cobra and the Decepticons. That's crazy. I mean, okay. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. All those Transformer movies to me suck. So if this spawns some real movies, I would really be glad. You know, Bum you Bumblebee was kind of redeeming, though. It, it was closer to the, the 80s G1 I stuff. It. I mean, I gave up good. On them. Like, I gave up on those Michael Bay. I couldn't whatever. get into them. I think I yeah, saw the first couple. Bumblebee is Michael them. Bay. He, he produces I, it, but he's, I, I he's think I not directing. I think I saw Bumblebee, but... I just didn't do it for me, but yeah. I'm hoping. Oh come this... on! That, for that opening sequence when they're on Cybertron—that's all 100% G1. That was awesome. <laughs> I like the old cartoon. I'm with you, man. The movie cartoon. <laughs> that's what I'm referring to with G1. That's the original cartoon, the original Generation yeah, One right? box and cartoon. Well, uh, Jeffrey, you got a site? How can people <laughs> get a hold of you? Keep up with your. You know, I, or... I I don't have a site at the moment. Um, I am actually I'm going to be working on building a site called Archeo Obscura. Uh, so it's not cool. quite ready yet, but um, it's going to be a blog, and I'm uh, sounds nice. Yeah, talking about you know, <laughs> starting, a, starting a podcast where I'm going to be, you know, exploring, you know, alternative archaeology, paranormal UFOs, a lot of the weird stuff that we're talking about here today. Um, I'm just going to go. We're going to go in a number of directions. I got a, a colleague of mine, um, <laughs> also into this stuff, another archaeologist. Um, she and I are going to probably be doing a podcast, and. Um, Hope to be having some guests. Maybe we'll have you on as a guest on our show. We'll yeah, let, let us know. Let's know. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. And we appreciate it. Jeffrey Shanks, everybody. Absolutely. And uh, Jamie Nicholas. I got to play these little. These Thanks, guys. Games. It was a blast. Everybody have a good weekend. Take care. Nope. Thanks so much. You're listening to UPRN, United Public Radio Network, coming to you live on 105.3 right up to 107.7 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans. UPRNTalkRadio.com Well, that was fun. Looking for stories that are fresh and new? Dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, cyberpunk, alternate history, and more. They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology from 24 award-winning authors and illustrators, plus art and writing tips and bonus stories. L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future. Buy your copy at galaxypress.com, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. It's time for you to get out and nominate your favorite podcasts. There's an amazing show I want you to consider for the People's Choice Podcast Awards, Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast, in three categories, education, storyteller drama, and art. For four years, the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast has provided advice and tips from international best-selling authors, world-class artists, 
contest judges and winners, and industry professionals based on the world-famous Writers of the Future contest created in 1983 by L. Ron Hubbard to help the aspiring writer and artist no matter their age. It is dedicated to the future of storytelling and art by showing that it is never too late to start and those who make it are those who never give up. Go to podcastawards.com to nominate the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast in any or all of the three categories, Education, Storyteller Drama, and Art. That's podcastawards.com, and please take a moment and go out and vote now.